have been listening at all to any radio or whatever in the last month or so, you may have heard that popular song, Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Whether you believe it or not. <laughs> you better watch out, it said. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. Going to find out who's naughty or nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees when you've been sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sakes. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. Well, this song, perhaps meant to be a very fun song, has some problematic theology <laughs> that children and adults latch onto, even, even the children latch onto, even into adulthood. And first, it teaches us that we shouldn't express our emotions. Stop pouting, stop crying, right? You better put on that happy face and just pretend like everything's all right. It also teaches us that Santa Claus is omniscient, that he knows everything about us, but only God is omniscient. It also teaches us that we can somehow earn and deserve gifts by being nice or good enough. Like I shared earlier, I was good enough, wasn't I? I thought anyway. It's a theology of bribing our children to get them to be good. <laughs> the reality is that none of us, however, are good enough and that we are in need of, of God's mercy and grace. And as we look into this new year together, uh, we'll be looking at this psalm this morning, which we see King David expressing his emotions, asking for God's mercy in his life. And we'll be looking at Psalm 143 this morning. It's found on page 637 in the church Bibles. If you have one nearby or your own Bible, again, Psalm 143. If you would follow along with me, this is God's holy, infallible, and life-giving word. Again, Psalm 143, starting at verse 1. Please follow along as I read God's word. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my pleadings. Answer me in your faithfulness, in your righteousness. And do not enter into judgment with your servant, for no person living is righteous in your sight. For the enemy has persecuted my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in dark places like those who have long been dead. Therefore, my spirit feels weak within me. My heart is appalled within me. I remember the days of old. I, I meditate on all your accomplishments. I reflect on the work of your hands. I spread out my hands to you. My soul longs for you like a weary land. Selah. Answer me quickly, Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, or I will be the same as those who go down to the pit. Let me hear your faithfulness in the morning, for I trust in you. Teach me in the way in which I should walk. 
For to you I lift up my soul. Save me, Lord, from my enemies. I take refuge in you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For the sake of your name, Lord, revive me. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your faithfulness, destroy my enemies and eliminate all those who attack my soul. For I am your servant. May the Lord bless the reading and hearing of God's holy word. Would you please pray with me? Oh, Father God, again, we come before you this morning giving you thanks and praise for setting aside this day that we may worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you for your Holy Spirit in our lives. We thank you for the word of God, and we pray, Lord, that your spirit would speak to us this morning through your word preached, that you would help us, Lord, to have ears to hear, you would help us to have hearts that would be willing to listen and obey, for it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So as we begin to look at this psalm this morning, we are able to see that it was written by King David, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And as you read in God's word, David had quite an emotional roller coaster of a life, having spiritual highs and also depressing lows and everywhere in between. And, and it would appear that David wrote this psalm during a season of a depressing low, a time when he was likely under the attack by his enemies, which we'll address a little later on. The very first thing that we see in verses one and two is King David's prayerful plea. King David's prayerful plea. David seems to be in distress going before the one true God with this plea. He is coming before God in earnest humility. David's prayerful plea is first and foremost that God would hear and answer his prayer. His prayerful plea is that God would hear and answer his prayer. King David would, would have a sense of what it was like for someone to request his own presence as the king of Israel and to listen to their request. King David was a very busy person as a king, and, and he was not able to listen to every single person who wanted or had a special request. Just like today, not everyone is able or granted access to the President of the United States. But, but King David wasn't desiring access to just an ordinary king. He was coming before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, who was able to grant anyone access at any time. David writes in another psalm, Psalm 139, verses 1 through 4, Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. Only God is omniscient, is that he's, he is all-knowing. Only God is omnipresent, that he is present everywhere and therefore is able to grant us access. No one else can do this. There's a, there's a famous picture, uh, many of you may have seen, of President John F. Kennedy in the White House with his son playing at his feet right there in the Oval Office. And as a child of 
the president, he was granted access to his father, the president. And yet as children of God, we are granted access by faith in Jesus Christ. We are able to go before God any time. As the author of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says, Then let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. And the apostle John writes in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his name, he hears us. What a blessing that we have a God who has chosen us as his people, that we have access to the one true God and that he can and that he will hear and answer our prayers if we pray according to his will. This is the access that David had before God. And, and yet, as David knew that there were times in his life that God said that he will not answer or he will not listen and answer a person's prayer. David knew that he did not deserve to have God listen and answer his prayers. In the book of Isaiah, we read about the wickedness of the, the people of Judah, God's people. Lord God said to the people of Judah, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Their sinful ways hindered their prayers to God. David knew that his sin could hinder his own prayers as well. And there are things in our lives that can hinder our prayers also. Our prayers are hindered when we have unconfessed sin. Psalm 66 verse 18 says, If I had cherished iniquity of my heart, the Lord will not listen to my prayer. Yet, in 1 John 1, 9, it says that if we confess our sins, he being Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. Another hindrance to our prayers, however, is when we don't forgive others. When we don't forgive others. Jesus tells us in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, verse 25, and when you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven may forgive you of your trespasses. And when we ignore God is what God is commanding us to do, this is also a hindrance to our prayers. If we know what God is asking us to do, that is a hindrance. And we don't do it. That is a hindrance to our prayers. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 9 says, If one turns away his ear from listening to God's law, even his prayer is an abomination. Another hindrance to our prayer is asking with wrong motives. James chapter 4, verse 3 says, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. David knows that he has done many things in his life which were a hindrance to his prayers to God. And now we see in this psalm, David's prayerful plea is that God would not just hear and answer his prayer, but he would answer his prayer for God's mercy in his life. David was pleading for God's mercy upon his life. David writes, and do not enter into judgment with your servant. David knew that he did not deserve to have his prayers heard 
and he did not deserve to have God's just judgment withheld from him. David knew that the wages of his sin deserved the just punishment of death and separation from God in eternity in hell. David knew that although he did not deserve God's free gift of mercy, he needed God's free gift of mercy because of King David's profound problems. King David's profound problems start with David being a sinner. We are all sinners. He, he writes, he includes himself when he confesses that no person is righteous in the sight of God. No person. The Apostle Paul quotes various psalms in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, saying that no one is righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20 says, Surely there is not a righteous man on the earth who does good and never sins. When King David wrote Psalm 51, it was the time after Nathan the prophet rebuked David for his many sins, and, and particularly the, the sin of adultery with Bathsheba and his sin of murdering her husband, Uriah the Hittite, his own soldier. David wrote in his penitent prayer to God, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. This is the type of humble, penitent prayer that God desires. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, Jesus shares, shared a parable about two different men who were going to pray. Jesus said two men, they went to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was the religious man. And he's standing by himself and he prayed thus. He says, God, I, I thank you that I am not like these other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. Pointing over there at that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, who was standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other, the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So we're able to see in our passage this morning that King David came before God in humility, pleading for God's abundant mercy and grace. King David expounds on his profound problems, stating that his soul was persecuted by his enemies. David's soul was persecuted by his enemies. This word here for persecute means being harassed and pursued. The, his enemies uh, began when he was just a shepherd boy. Can you imagine that? His, his father had young David bring food and supplies to his older brothers who were at war against Goliath and the Philistines. And when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard that David was there, he got very angry with David and said, why have you come down? I can just hear my older brother saying this. David, why are you here? <laughs> and that's what he's got. And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? 
Why did you come down to see the battle? And David said, what have I done now? <laughs> I'm sure I said that a lot. Even David's brothers were seemingly his enemies, perhaps even more so when they were overlooked to be God's chosen next king of Israel because David became that king. Perhaps the most famous of David's enemies were Goliath and the Philistines. Remember, after David defeated Goliath, the Philistines were constantly trying to pursue David and destroy him in retaliation for what he did. And, but David was also persecuted and pursued by King Saul. Saul was jealous over David's victories over the Philistines, and then Saul wanted to kill David, knowing that David was chosen to replace Saul as the next king of Israel. And yet even after David became the next king, his own son Absalom became his enemy. I cannot fathom what that would be like. Yet even with all of these enemies in his life, it was the enemies of sin, death, and Satan that were even more so persecuted his soul. David described the way that his soul was persecuted in verses 3 and 4. He, he personalizes his enemy saying, he has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in dark places like those who have long been dead. Therefore, my spirit feels weak within me and my heart is appalled within me. It is possible that the he that David is referring to is that of Saul or his son Absalom. In both cases, Saul and Absalom at different times again were trying to kill him. So we see that David was running for his life many times and he was hiding away in, in dark caves or among the tombs of the dead. David wrote in Psalm 3 when he was fleeing from his own son Absalom. And once again, we see David crying out in this psalm. He says, Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising up against me. And then Psalm 57 was written about the time when David was hiding away in a cave as he fled from his enemy Saul. I cannot fathom what it would be like literally having someone trying to hunt me down and kill me. But King David's enemies of, of sin, Satan, were relentless. Remember that Satan is our enemy that prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Satan's goal is to discourage you, to disrupt your lives, to disunite the people of God. Like Absalom tried to divide and steal the kingdom away from his father, Satan wants to divide and destroy the church, and he will use any means he can. Our enemy is not our brother and sister in Christ. And we need to remember that Jesus has already defeated sin and Satan for us. As we continue to look at our psalm this morning, we see that God helped David to have a better perspective as is the case in much of the Psalms, he gets to thinking about his relationship with the Lord. And although David had profound problems and was persecuted by his enemies, we see that King David ponders and praises his God. King David ponders and he praises the God who has saved him from his enemies. In verse 5, it says that David remembers the days of old. 
So in the midst of being persecuted by his enemies, David remembers the days of old when perhaps when David conquered his enemies over and over again. David perhaps remembered the days of old when he was used by God to destroy that Philistine giant, Goliath. David was just a boy, remember? He wasn't even of the age to go off and be in Saul's army. And yet God chose this young boy, David, with a sling and a stone to defeat the giant soldier by the name of Goliath. And David remembered in the past how God used him to help him defeat the enemies of Israel and the Philistines. And so we see that David meditated on God's accomplishments. Again, in the midst of being persecuted by his enemies, we see that David meditated on God's accomplishments. These were indeed God's accomplishments. Yeah, if you look back in 1 Samuel chapter 18, we see that when David had returned from striking down that Philistine giant, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another and they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands. And David, his tens of thousands. From that day, Saul was very angry and jealous because the women were giving praise to David more than they were to King Saul. This is what can happen when people begin to praise men instead of God, thinking that the world is full of accomplishments, not God. David was fully aware that God had accomplished all of these things. He helped David to defeat a lion and a bear, Goliath, the Philistines, and many other neighboring enemies. And as David remembered the days of old and meditated on God's accomplishments, he mentions that he reflected on the work of God's hands. Perhaps David was reflecting on the fact that God was his creator and he was the sustainer of all things. David may have even had been reflecting upon his own words from Psalm 139, where David wrote, For you formed my inward parts, God. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. David knew that he was not some product of chance, as children are being taught in schools today. David and each one of us were especially and uniquely and wonderfully created in the loving hands of God. And so David remembers and he meditates and he reflects on God's amazing work and accomplishments that we see King David worshiping God and longing to be with the one true God. David worships and longs for his God in the midst of his suffering. We see in verse 6 that David vividly expresses his worship to God he says he spread out his hands, praising the God who has created and sustained and saved his life from his enemies. As he worships God, he praises him for who he is and what he has done in his life. Throughout this psalm, we see that David praises God for his covenant faithfulness and his righteousness. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9, it says, 
Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays those who hate him by destroying them. David worshiped the God who is always faithful and never goes back on his word. We read in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, so let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. He who promised is faithful. This is why King David is able to trust in God's promises, his presence, and his power. Despite David's circumstances of being persecuted by his enemies, we know that King David trusts in God's promises, his presence, and his power. David is able to trust in God's promise to answer his prayers in ways that God knows is best for him. David may not have understood or even liked the circumstances that he was in, being attacked by Saul or being attacked by his own son, but in the midst of it, he was able to put his trust in God's faithful promise that he would answer his prayer. And although David did not have the New Testament yet, he was still able to trust in that promise in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, which says, And we know that in all things God works for the good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. King David was also able to trust in God's presence. Although Although David knew that because of his sin, he deserved to be separated from God's presence forever, David also knew that he could trust that God to never hide his face from David. David knew as he put his faith and trust in God alone that God would never hide his face from David. Throughout the scriptures, God has made promises to his people that he would never leave them or forsake them. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 28 Verse 20, Jesus said to his disciples, I am with you always to the end of the age. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, it says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm sure that when David was being pursued and persecuted by his enemies, he must have felt very alone. Yet he was able to trust in God's presence with him always. King David was also able to trust in that God would teach David the way that he should walk and to do God's will. David was able to trust in God to teach him from his word. King David is most likely the one who wrote Psalm 119 where he says, Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. And in verse 9, he writes, How can a man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I will seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I will declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches, I will meditate on all your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. 
And that's just a small portion of Psalm 119. David was passionate about God's word. David knew that the way to be taught by God was to spend time in God's word. David knew that in order to walk in the ways of the Lord, he needed to meditate on God's word. He needed to delight in God's word. He needed to hide God's word in his heart, remembering it and obeying it. And as David spent time in God's word and in God's presence through prayer, he knew that he could put his trust in God to be saved from his enemies. He was able to put his trust in God to be saved from his enemies. Perhaps reflecting back in the beginning after Adam and Eve fell into sin by being deceived by Satan, God declared that promise to defeat our enemy. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts on the field. And on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall crush your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This promise was pictured even when David, little David, slew the giant Goliath with a stone and then decapitated Goliath. This is a picture. It was thus God's power over Goliath. David became the head crusher that would perfectly be fulfilled in the future by Christ when he came to crush Satan. When Jesus came into the world, he lived a perfect and sinless life, righteous in all his ways. He completely and perfectly obeyed all of the law for us to the will of God the Father. He willingly went to be crucified on the cross at Calvary to pay the penalty for our sin. That is what it was meant for Jesus to be bruised. And yet because Jesus rose from the dead on that third day, he has declared victory over all of our enemies of sin, death, and Satan. He has crushed their head. He has destroyed them forever. This is the promise that David believed, which was perfectly fulfilled in Christ alone. Like David, we too can put our faith and trust in Christ alone. We too can know that our enemies have been defeated. That we can have life and life eternal with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are able to take refuge in Jesus, the one who will protect us and shelter us from all our enemies. David knew that without God's promises, without his presence, without his power, that he would be as good as dead. He knew that only God could save his soul from trouble. He knew that only God could destroy his enemies. And he knew that only God was able to revive him and give him new life and everlasting life. Without Christ, we are still in our sin and we are as good as dead. And we need to be revived back to life by the power of Christ in his life and death and resurrection. So as we look into this new year together, we need to be putting our trust in Christ alone, that he will hear us and that he will answer our prayers by his abundant mercy. We need to trust that he has already defeated sin, death, and Satan for us. We need to spend time in God's word and ponder what he has done for us. I love how hearing Eliza's testimony and how she is able to ponder 
that day when she was little, don't know how little she was, but she was little. She was dressed up as a lion and, and saw the gospel tracked and had mom read the gospel and reflected on that wonderful story of the gospel. We need to ponder the good news. When we came to Christ, or if you have not come to Christ yet, look at God's word for you, that he's here to defeat the enemies for you. We need to trust that he will never hide his face from us, that he will lead us by his spirit, that he will teach us of his ways, and that he will revive us into a deeper walk with him. Will you put your trust in the message from God's word in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, where it says, God says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen, says the Lord. You will seek me and I will find and find me when you seek me with all of your heart, and I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Let us pray. Father God in heaven, we, we thank you as we come and look at your word. We see David, who was a man who struggled much of his life, having great things happen and also terrible things happen to him, Lord. And Lord, help us to recognize that we can express our emotions before you, knowing that you are always there to listen. Lord, that you desire for us to put our trust in you as the one who has defeated our enemies. You are the one that is able to revive our dead bodies because of our sin and give us a new life in Christ. Lord, help us to look into this new year together that we might be revived and given new life, that we might meditate upon you and your word, and that we might live for you. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.